Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host for the most, as always, Adela Marcy. I am steamrolling into 2019's season five of this show, and we have got some kick-ass guests already that you've seen, and today's guest is no different. In fact, we had uh, the person that introduced me to her um, on last week, and that's none other than our good friend Sydney Clevenger. If you guys haven't listened to that show, go back, have a listen, come back to this one, and just listen to them both. They're absolutely amazing people, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be so much fun. So, Tiffany, welcome to being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited for you to be here. Now, just a quick heads up for everyone. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because I kind of have a mini background about who you are, but I really didn't do too much digging because I wanted to get to know you. But before we begin, mm-hmm. I do have to do, obviously, the sponsor call-out. So for this episode, we are sponsored by Blue Lotus Mind, M-I-N-D.com. Check the site out. It's absolutely brilliant down there. I actually love the design. So I'm on it right now. Um, but you can check, definitely check it out and get to know uh, Tiffany a lot better. Also, this episode is sponsored by StorySellingEmails.com, which is our place that we actually go through and teach you how to write email copy completely for free uh, over a 17-minute video. And of course, you can upgrade and get the paid course as well if you want. It's all good. Basically, I want you to watch that video because it is powerful. That being said, let's just jump right into it. So Sydney literally told me that you did NLP and that's basically like you've done, you've basically got a huge body of work in the mindset space. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started out in health and fitness with my career and realized very early on that, um, the, the mind has such a powerful impact on everything that I was wanting to do with people in the health and fitness space that it just made sense to move in that direction. I had had some training in understanding how the brain works from my university degree, and then I dove headfirst into NLP and a couple other branches of NLP, specifically matrix therapies that was uh-huh. created in Australia, and that's led me to where I am today. That is pretty amazing. Okay, so like mm. one of the things I've actually found is a uniting thread for almost every person I've had on this show that we've all experienced a quote-unquote breaking point in our lives, right? Yes. Now, a lot of people know my, I've had multiple breaking points. One of the biggest ones for 2019 was in January, I had this weird thing happen where I just started to believe in myself and the subsequent next 30 days from there on in, I essentially made a crap ton more money. I felt better. I felt happier. Everything just seemed to work out in a better way. That was mm. my one of my breakout moments and will breakthrough moments. Um, what was yours? Like what actually like really kind of, set the light under your, uh, set the fire under your ass basically more than anything. Um, so my breakdown slash breakthrough moment was I was living in Australia. I'm from Canada originally was living in Australia, um, had been with my then partner for about three years. I think we just put an offer in on a block of land and, I found out I was pregnant and two hours later I found out that he actually had a girlfriend in another state and my carefully put together house of cards life very quickly just collapsed and yeah, (laughs) that's one way to put it. And then I, um, I ended up actually losing the baby. My body couldn't handle the stress of everything. And that was really when I realized how small I was playing life. I realized that I had settled not just in that relationship. I hadn't been happy 
in that relationship for a long time. I wasn't excelling financially. I wasn't excelling intellectually. I actually remember I had a conversation with my mom just before the breakup happened where I told her, I called her and I said, I think I'm getting dumber. And she said, what? No, like that's, you're a very smart person. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, like I swear I'm getting dumber. And after the breakup happened and all the fallout, I realized that really I was because I wasn't doing anything that I enjoyed anymore. I had stopped learning. I'd become stagnant in every aspect of my life and had just kind of accepted life as living paycheck to paycheck. You worked your nine to five. You came home, you watched five hours of TV, ate some crappy food, went to bed, got up and did it all again the next day. And that wasn't really how I envisioned living the next, you know, 40, 50 years of my life. So for me, that was, that was the point where I recognized that I needed to make some change. And I think that's what started me down the wormhole, the wormhole of understanding the mind and understanding how we store our emotions in our body, because I recognized that I was abused by my stepmom as a little girl. And I realized that I hadn't dealt with any of that. I'd done what society kind of tells you to do in, you know, just move on, get over it. You can't change the past. But I still had a lot of emotion that I was carrying into every job, into every relationship, into every day, right? It was, it was impacting the way that I thought about myself and and the actions that I took or didn't take. So what really fascinated me about NLP and specifically matrix therapies was that it was different from everything else that was out there because it gave you actual tools to change your life. It gave you actual ways of resolving and letting go of the negative emotions that had happened from all these negative experiences throughout my life so that I didn't feel weighed down to them by them every day. It was like, uh, and I see it in my clients now. It's like people get up every day, they strap on the lead ball of, you know, 20, 30, 50 years of negative emotions and negative experiences to their ankle and they drag it through the day and they wonder why they're so exhausted by breakfast, never mind lunchtime or dinner, and why they never can actually get enough energy together to, to take action. And so, for me, the best part of my job is watching people slowly let go of that baggage and that weight and messaging me the next day, telling me how, how much lighter they feel, how much clearer they feel. I had one client reach out to me and ask me if I had like drugged her. She was like, I feel like I'm high and I'm totally okay with that. Like, I just want to know if it's going to last. And I was like, it is because you're not carrying around all this stuff anymore. So that, yeah, it's, I love NLP. <laughs> See, that's one of the things I really do enjoy about NLP because I did. I have my advanced practitioner in NLP and my time and my uh, timeline therapy. Mm. Um, but the only thing is, and I find this is really irritating. I can never do it on my own. Like, yeah, the amount of times I do it to myself, I my brain is so goddamn annoyingly tricky that I'll start going, okay, I'm going back to this event, I'm feeling this, and then halfway through, I was like, ooh, pizza bagels. I'm like, no, 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 not pizza bagels. Go to the other thing that's important. You, do. <laughs> just so brilliant. I've done that twice, and my friend was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. If I do it to myself, it never works. If someone else does it to me, I'm like, I I let go of something. But I actually yeah. credit. Um, I don't credit this enough, but. Uh, mainly because I studied a wide variety of self-development from different programs for the last 
11 years since I turned 18, essentially. But self-development mm. and specifically certain techniques from NLP actually saved my life. And mm. I just want to point out to everyone listening, because I only just realized this, because I have an advanced, I think it's a degree, advanced degree in NLP and timeline therapy, I never use this in copywriting, by the way. I just don't. All the stuff I do in copywriting is the stuff I've done since I was 12. This stuff just is just makes more sense to my brain. Like it, what I know, NLP just basically gives me the definition of what I know. It, it's just like it gives it purpose. That being said, mm. back to what I was saying for a second, because I just realized then I was like, wait, does Adele use NLP in copywriting? I'm like, no, I do not. <laughs> I that that is that is all talent from like years of doing the work. But anyway, mm. uh, I digress. What I was getting at was that the biggest thing that I actually found, at least for me, was that it actually saved me, and by that it mean I mean it allowed me to uh, to express my emotions. And something mm. I've come across as well, and something I find that in my personal and in my dating life is I actually cannot date anyone that doesn't do any degree of self-development. I I, yeah. I don't know. If, do you find that as well? Like, I I know uh, you and Sydney are together, but I meant in the sense of if there was uh, pride to that, was that something that you started to look for after this crappy relationship broke down? Yeah, it was. I really started to notice that as I started to level up and improve myself and continue to push myself out of my comfort zone, that I couldn't date anybody who wasn't doing the same. And I actually, I, I don't know if, if this is for all women who are overachievers or if it was just my experience, but I actually found that I had guys who would tell me that they found me quite intimidating because I was continually pushing myself and, and moving forward. And I was, I was, I just always found it really interesting. And then I actually had friends tell me, you know, you're, if you're going out on a date with a guy and you actually like want it to go somewhere, maybe don't tell them that you own multiple businesses, or maybe don't tell them that, you know, you do that. You spend all this money on personal development or on improving yourself because it is intimidating. And that might like kind of stop the relationship in its tracks. And I was like, well, wouldn't I rather lay all my cards on the table now and not waste another six months, three years, whatever. Only to so, realize then that it was never going to work out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to be intimidated by me now, then that, nothing's going to change that in six months when they find out the truth. So I was uh, very grateful when I found Sid and found that, you know, he holds my feet to the fire just as much as I hold his to the fire. And it's it's been a very different relationship for both of us because neither of us is used to that, but in a very good way. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that entirely. I mean... One of the key things I always look for now um, when I'm, this is going to sound really weird, but I like to have the money conversation as quickly as possible with someone. Mm. And what yeah. I mean by the money conversation isn't how much money you make. I couldn't give a crap how much money someone makes. It's just I know I hold myself to a high standard. It's more or less what I'll do is around the time that I'll be dating someone, I'll get like, say, a major win um, by taking on a new client, right? Like, say, mm -hmm. for instance, um, I know for a fact by the time the show comes out, this sort of actually all happened anyway, but like Sid and I and you were, all pro were very likely going to be working together soon. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know, and I know once, if and when that goes through and when it does, I do know for a fact that like, um, if I called up a girl that I was dating and said, hey, I just had this, look, we're going out tonight. Where are we going? We're going to go get some food. We're going to go to this place. Why? We're celebrating. I want to celebrate something with you. If their response at me closing a good deal 
is anything short of quite positive. Not meaning they have to celebrate, but I mean like, you know when someone just intrinsically just almost immediately wants to tear down your success? Mm-hmm. If it's anything less than just a complete, that's great, or something that's actually valuable to the conversation for me to keep in mind, then it's mm-hmm. like, that shows me that relationship is not right for me. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, Sid... Sid probably, he, I don't know if he knows this, but he won me over when we, we were actually, we did long distance for the first six months or so of our relationship. Uh-huh. And he won me over by having those conversations early on, by telling me what his love languages were before, you know, very, you know, like the first meeting kind of thing. Like, this is what I need from a relationship. We're going to have to schedule in date nights. We're going to have to make sure that we have at least an hour a day together because we're going to be busy in our businesses. We, you know, do you want to have kids? Cool. I want to have kids. One of us is going to have to move. Who's that going to be? And I was just like, I'm so not used to this. I'm used to people like, you know, dancing around the subject and, and making assumptions and, not communicating so he was very refreshing that's for sure oh wow that is incredible and if sid hears this back which i'm pretty sure he will um (laughs) dude congrats if you didn't know Um, (laughs) that is actually really inspiring for me because like i that is like kind of the the type of person i tend to like be like want to be around or want to be uh, Mm. like but I think with society today that the way it can come off is that that could come off very intimidating to people um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's just more of an indication that person wasn't meant for you anyway, or wasn't, wasn't the right person for you to begin with. Now, kind of yeah. jumping off that point, I did want to ask you as far as it goes with, and I know we've stuck on relationships for a little bit, but I was going to actually ask you on this part, as far as it goes with people with low self-esteem, what exercise would you give them in order to actually start building on that? And this is something I wish I had asked about 10 years ago. Um, so I'm curious. That's a great question. I I did uh, something shortly after that that breakup that that forced me to p- start paying attention, and I actually give it to quite a few of my clients now. Is that I ask them to reach out to five people that they're close with or five people whose opinions they value, and I get these people to answer a range of questions. It it'll change based on the client sometimes. But typically I get them to ask for a written answer so that they can come back to it whenever they need to. But they ask their friends or their family to tell them what they think their greatest strength is, um, what their favorite thing about the person is, their favorite memory, what their superpower would be if they had one. And I usually add in a fifth question. And for me, it's a really powerful exercise because what I find is as you know, being trained in NLP, that the bulk of our belief systems are embedded in our brains between the ages of zero and seven. So -hmm. we have a very limited view of the world at that age, and we're very self-referential. So we tend to assume that everything that happens is because of us. So when I was being abused by my stepmom, I took that to mean that I wasn't good enough, that, you know, she was locking me in closets or burning me with curling irons or, you know, threatening to leave me on the side of the road because I wasn't good enough. The powerful thing about NLP is that we reframe that perception and we look at it from not 
our model of the world and we, you know, step into somebody else's shoes or a bystander's shoes or whatever. And so knowing that my stepmom had been abused in her past four relationships and my biological dad was the first man who never hit her or laid a hand on her, he was her safety. He was, you know, like a, a completely different experience for her. And then on the weekends when I was there, she didn't get as much attention because he doted on me. And so I was a threat to her safety into that new world that she was putting together. And we both know that hurt people hurt people. So while my entire life I had carried this belief of I wasn't good enough, it was really a case of she was treating me in the way that she felt about herself. And so getting these letters from people and allowing yourself to see yourself from somebody else's point of view is really powerful in starting to reframe the low self-esteem standpoints of, you know, I've always thought that, you know, I was quirky and that that was a bad thing. Or I always thought that being really smart was, you know, a negative thing because I got bullied in school for being a nerd, except that, you know, now it serves me in a certain way and other people actually admire that quality in me. So maybe it's not such a bad thing. So starting to look at yourself from the perspective of other people is really, really powerful. I would agree entirely. In fact, the way that I broke out of my self-esteem and I don't recommend this for everyone was because of my photography teacher. Is that okay with you if I share it? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I know it's my show and stuff, but like sometimes I was like, I should really ask because <laughs> this could get weird. Um, basically, my, my very similar to you, except for my photography teacher actually figured out because the reason that you don't like taking photos of yourself is because you don't believe that you're good looking at all. In fact, you think you're terribly ugly, which I did. I mean, my self-love was like a zero at that time. Mm -hmm. Completely loathed myself. Even though on the outward world, I was like, I love myself because in reality, I was lying to myself. I believe the lie instead of like dealing with the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it always- A lot of people like, do that. Yeah. And you think you're making progress, but you're not. It's not until you go down and do the hard work. And thankfully, I, I did. Uh, but this is what really kicked it off for me is that my, <laughs> my photography teacher sent me two tasks. Number one is to find- 10 friends that I felt the most comfortable with, like ones that if, I, if they saw me naked, I wouldn't even care, right? Like your, mm -hmm. your true friends. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Most of my friends are female. This is gonna get awkward. I was like, okay, why? <laughs> and I quickly put it together. What he wanted me to do was ask them if it was okay if I sent them two photos of me completely naked, front and back. And for them to actually point out what they liked about me physically. Not emotionally, not intellectually, none of that, just my physical body, because that's where my entire self-esteem had reigned for a long time. Mm -hmm. Was internally, I knew I was smart, I knew I was funny, I knew I, I was a hard worker, I knew I had a great personality, I, I knew all these things because they constantly kept coming up, so they were reaffirmed over the years. But what was rarely affirmed to me was that I have good confidence or that I'm good looking, and I actually tied the two together. Because in my twisted mind at the time, I believed I'm weird, so you can't be good looking and weird. They are not synonymous. They can't be one thing. I see Which, why you and Sid get along. He had, he had the same belief for a long time. Yay. See, I had no <laughs> idea about this. This is good to know. It's probably why, it's probably why we do get along. Like we can just recognize that level of pain from our past gang. I see yeah. you, deal, you dealt with that too. Yeah, uh, that kindred spirit. 
Definitely. So what he got me to do was send this off. And what was surprising was what was what came back to me. I have all the messages like printed. Uh, like I took them off my phone and put them onto my laptop and had them all screenshotted so I know exactly where they are. And um, these little messages, they were really nice, but I didn't really believe them all. So that's why the second part of the exercise came too. I had to do a live art class uh, where I was nude oh. in front of a group of 10 people. There wasn't 10 people in that room, though. 20 people in that room, all looking at my naked body. It, it was weird, not going to lie. Um, but afterwards, I had to have a conversation with each artist about what they like to draw about me and why. Like, what part of my body they really enjoy to draw. And I actually got a huge perspective of how other people see me. Mm. Because no two draw like, I couldn't find two drawings in that room that were similar. Like, they're, they're not, sorry, it's not similar. They were very similar, but there were, like, slight differences, like the shape of my eyes, or how my lips sat, or how my jawline was. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, little subtle things. And after that, I just realized, I was like, I, that's how I started to heal with that belief, was that rebuild that self-esteem for myself. So very similar to you, it was, well, similar, but not exactly the same, is I had a group of friends tell me what they liked about me in the area that I felt the least confident in to build it up. So, yeah, that, that's that was awesome. how I did it. That's how I mostly did it. And then some other conventional work that seemed to help me out as well, which is great. So with that being said, one of the things I did really want to ask you about specifically when it came down to NLP was Sid had mentioned that one of the things that you're that I've known this for other NLP practitioners as well is being able to quickly disassoci- disassociate, like not wrong beliefs, but beliefs that we have that are erroneous. Like, for mm. instance, uh, money is evil, or mm-hmm. rich people are bad, or, you know, greed yeah. is good, stuff like that. What exercises did, like, did you actually go through anything like that personally yourself, and what was that journey like for you? Um, I did, actually. So I had a lot of limiting beliefs around money, and particularly around the time that that breakup happened, I was already making about what my parents combined had made. Um, And I had a belief that if I made too much more, I wouldn't be able to connect with them. Obviously this is a, an unconscious thing. I wasn't aware of it. And so I wanted to, I think at the time I was making like $60,000 a year. And in my mind, if I could just get to 80,000, I would be like, a baller is, is what I thought at that time. Um, and you know, I wouldn't have to live paycheck to paycheck anymore and, and things would be so much better. And so I was looking for all these opportunities to make more money, to start side hustles or whatever it was that would give me that extra $20,000 a year. And I found a whole lot of opportunities that, ended up wasting my time and didn't make me more money when you considered what I had to outlay to get going or to keep it going. So it just kind of negated each other. But then I was spending all this money, um, on, or spending all this extra time, I guess, on this extra business. So I had less time and the same amount of money. (laughs) And I was talking with a coach at the time and I just said like, I don't get it. And she asked me some questions about why I thought I had to work hard to make money. Um, 
and some other things. And we just, we completely, I can't remember the exact question she asked, but we blew this belief apart. And then seriously within like three or four months, I like doubled my income, not just added the 20 grand on, but I like doubled my income and it was just this huge eye opener for me. And I see it in my clients. Now I actually did a a Facebook post a couple weeks ago where I said, you know, if the value of a dollar is whatever you give it, money is just a piece of paper and we attach a value and a perception to that. And so if you believe that it's hard to make money, then it's going to be hard for you to make a dollar and a million dollars is going to be completely out of your realm of thinking. And somebody commented to me, but everybody that I know has always worked really hard to have money. And I, I said to her, but do they have money? Like, do they have a bank account that you want to have? And she said, well, no. And I said, so why are you believing them? Because if they're working hard and they still don't have money, Clearly they don't have money figured out. So why are you taking money advice or lessons from them? And then she said, well, that's a really interesting point because I've also been told that you can never do something that you love to do and make good money from it. And I said, so the people that are doing things they don't love, are they making good money? And she said, no. And I said, okay. And what about the people? Do you know anybody who is doing what they love and making good money? And she said, well, you are. And I said, so, you know, why are you, we, and, and this is what the unconscious mind just fascinates me because we take on these belief systems and believe them to be true. But then when we break it down in that way, it's like, oh yeah, like this person clearly doesn't know anything about money. So why am I listening to them? Why have I held on to this belief for so long when, and it's really all because of the perception that we've attached to things. Yeah. It's it's so powerful when you actually have a certain perception and you don't let go because once it sets in, it's permanently there. The only mm-hmm. well, not permanently. It's it's there until you choose to let it go. It just runs on yeah. automation. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the most powerful things I actually really do love about not just neuro linguistic program, but with like self development as a whole, is you come to the realization that you can change what you've you can change your situation, you can mm-hmm. change your circumstance. And it doesn't have to be the most impossible thing in the world to do. Yeah, which is, I agree with you. Which is beautiful. And also congratulations for doubling your income. That That's always a Thank great you. thing to do. Yeah. There's also a couple other lessons in there with money that I needed to learn because I very quickly mm. lost it all. Yeah, I was <laughs> right? going to say, you do double share your income. <laughs> well, it was, you know, we we doubled our income and then money is a money is a magnifier. And not that it, I mean, I was still a good person. I just, I had no money, no understanding of what to do with money at that point. I had no financial literacy and no financial education. So anything that came in very quickly went back out because that's what had also been modeled for me. So when I did double my income, it, it brought up the next level of money beliefs that I needed to deal with in terms of learning how to then take money that I was making and leverage it or invest it or, you know, not just squander it all away. Or not to hoard it all and never use it. Like that's the other one that I actually find is like people think that money won't escape your account if you hoard it all, but trust me, it'll it'll find a way out. It's not to be coveted. Um, I think Dan Kennedy was one of the first people that actually taught me that lesson as well. But it's the the whole thing with... um, 
keeping money. Oh my god, I am the, literally probably one of the worst people initially that actually had to deal with that. So I was like, I think I was nineteen years old. Um, and it was my first big copywriting project, one that I got paid like five thousand dollars for, and a percentage of the profits. I made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars off that ad. Oh wow! Nineteen years old, grew up in like a very not well-to-do family, like as in my family wasn't, but like my grandparents were. But it was mm-hmm. in the case of like lived in a really rough neighborhood, kind of messed up, that whole situation, and still make one hundred fifty fifty grand. The speed of which I spend that money to this day, I'm like, what the hell did I spend it on? Part of me kind of wishes that's like it was something adventurous, like hookers and blow, or I bought a brand new fancy car. I w- just anything. Hell, I would even settle for. I had a drug ed- a drug addiction. I went to rehab. I would settle for that. But no, my thing was super boring. I looked at it a couple of years ago. It's I spent all my money on paying off other people's debts and right. going. And be like, yeah, you can pay me back whenever. None of them paid me back. Yeah, of course not. So I was like, so I was like, huh. I think it was like the weirdest thing I ever did because I didn't know what to do with money. But it was a lesson of me just giving it away because I was like, I don't yeah. know what to do with this. And bringing out the rescuer tendencies. Oh, yeah. Like, God, I had to save your complex for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I still do to some degree. I mean, I have that, which is what I'm working on for the majority of 2019. Um but yeah, get, gaining final literacy was probably one of the most important things that I did and continually do. In fact, if it's okay, I'd love to make a book recommendation to you if yeah. just because it's always a fun book. Um, it's mm-hmm. called How to Speak Money or How to Talk Money. I think it's How to cool. Speak Money. Um, the entire book, what I love about it, it isn't, it isn't dry and constipated like academia of how to like and then you have this chart, and this is how it goes over here. See, it's easy. No, the whole thing is like, it just references pop culture. Like, one of the things is, in uh, the Wu-Tang Clan song, uh, Cream, ca- there's a very important rule that every business owner should know. It's cash rules, everything around me. And then he just breaks it down as if it was a drug dealer from, the from like, the rap game of how it all went <laughs> down. It's like, and this is how you understand what money is. I was like... That's awesome. Finally, a book that speaks my language that teaches me how to deal money. I love it. That's so awesome. Cool. So that being said, one of my um, one of the questions I did want to ask you particularly was down towards like, do you ever? Ha- I know that some people are actually very extreme and stringent about what they let their mind uh, consume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cases that really comes up in memory for me is a guy called Randy Gage. I don't know if you know him. You may know him. He's been around self-development scene for ages. I think I've heard the name. Yeah. Uh, Network Marketer wrote a g- really great series of books on prosperity. Just a really good dude. Uh, what he mm-hmm. said and what was powerful uh, was he said something along the lines of he will never watch Titanic because of the subtle... Um, because of the subtle messages that are hidden in that like seep into people's minds. So, are there any movies like that that you recommend not to watch, or do you actually not just do that? Do you like, okay, I'm watching a show, I'm just going to suspend disbelief and enjoy the show, or are you like stringent with what you see? Um, I'm a lot more careful what I consume these days. Like, I definitely do. Like, I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't listen to the radio. Um, even when we watch TV, we typically only watch Netflix, like, documentaries and things. 
-hmm. Typically, we just read books, to be honest, um, <laughs> and go to trainings or watch like Eric Thomas. I think if I do go to a movie, like I do suspend beliefs. Um, actually, just a couple weekends ago, I started writing a blog article on the lessons I learned about self-love from Disney. Mm -hmm. I know, like, especially when it comes to, like, Cinderella, I've seen a lot of, especially feminists, kind of go up in arms about how, you know, Cinderella teaches negative beliefs around how a woman needs man. And I was like, I totally didn't get that from that movie. Like, I, you know, watching Cinderella, I was like, there, if, if you, if there's a will, there's a way, right? Like, so I think we can all take different beliefs away from different movies and it depends on the level of consciousness that we have um when we're watching them right so things like titanic would be you know that could give you some negative beliefs if you didn't have an understanding of how your brain works and you just allowed your unconscious mind to take anything on mm -hmm. um that's interesting i'm gonna i think i might like watch titanic just to see what could be taken away from that now Okay, do you want, so I'll, 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 I'll give you one that's definitely there that ra that stuck with me for years. Like it's the reason I've never watched it again. Mm -hmm. Um, it's this idea of for those people listening in as well, because this is quite this is quite powerful for me to actually understand. It was um, there's a really powerful money and prosperity belief in there that's instilled right away, which mm -hmm. is Jack is broke, good looking, and happy go lucky. Right. Mm. So you got happy go lucky, positive, good looking, positive, but also broke. Your brain goes positive, positive, positive. It doesn't go positive, positive, negative. Mm. It just it continues on. So it associates the two very powerful things with the very negative thing. Um because as they say, the best way to tell a good lie is to tell true the true two truths around that lie. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first yeah. one. And the second one is that when you meet the rich person, which is played by Billy Zane, Billy Zane is not as good looking as Leonardo DiCaprio in the 90s. So he's clearly the less better looking guy. He's pompous and he's prosperous and he's very controlling and domineering towards Rose. So you have mm. all these negative stereotypes around money. Like one, like being broke is good and being prosperous makes you an asshole. So it's like... Yeah. Wait, no, I don't want to be an asshole. And that's basically what that, that's the one that like stuck with me. I was like, oh, no wonder I didn't like this movie when I was a kid and still don't like this movie now as an adult. Yeah, I mean, I only ever watched it once and I've never watched it again. So <laughs> clearly I didn't like it that much either. Um, there, are, there are some yeah, movies. I mean, that you, gone? Sorry. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think of it on that level. Yeah, I mean, that's the one that was given to me. So that's why it was a gimme for me. I was like, oh, no way. That's so cool. But as far as it goes with the, the question I actually asked itself with uh, how do you consume, like, do you actually very, very fine-tooth comb consume media in a certain way? Me personally, I have something very similar to that, except uh, I don't watch the news, but I do watch a lot of movies. Main reason mm -hmm. is that a really good way for my brain to switch off. But the thing that I look at is um, if I watch a movie once... I usually like have my mind analyzing the movie. If I like the movie from the analysis, I'll watch it again just so mm. I can enjoy it. Cause I'm like fine tooth comb. Okay. This is wrong with it. Don't want to watch this movie. Um, like wonder woman. I had to unfortunately leave the theater watching that. 
because it was oh, just, really? it was so terribly written. I was like, this is a knockoff. And then the emotional stuff started coming up. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. There's certain things here that I'm not okay and comfortable with. I don't really know what they are yet, but I know I need to go. So I'm going to go. Yeah. I, I can see that with Wonder Woman. I definitely, maybe it was my inner feminist, but I, I think like the whole like beginning scenes of being on the, on the island and yeah, it wasn't a favorite of mine either. But um, I actually, now that you say that about Titanic, I have had some things pop into my head around how in the lower class, like the poor quarters, Mm -hmm. that was like where they were having fun and they were dancing and singing and having a great time. And in like the richer areas, it was all stuffy and proper and, you know, you have to move this way and wear these uncomfortable clothes. So I can definitely see how that embeds that beliefs around you know when you have money you don't have fun and it for anybody who has that belief of money doesn't make you happy or money doesn't solve problems or money is evil that would just further embed that belief in there oh entirely um one i'm grateful that i managed to watch a movie that is one of my favorites it's called uh boiler room i haven't actually seen it i really need to watch it has it come up for you a couple of times now? People mention it to me all the time, so okay. I definitely need to. But there is a scene in that where um, Ben Affleck, of all people, basically says to his salesman, including Giovanni Ribisi, where he says to him, he's like, um, people who say that money is the root of all the evil don't have any. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's actually pretty true, because if you want to get religious about it, yeah. Even in religion, nowhere does it say that being prosperous is an evil thing. No, it's the love of money. It's a misquote yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I've started giving my clients who have negative money beliefs a really cool exercise, if you don't mind me sharing. Oh, hell yeah, go for it. I was going to ask. So what I do is, um, it's kind of a two-parter in that I get them to write down the current beliefs that they have about money. So you have to work hard to make money. Money is the root of all evil. Um, if you have money, something bad will happen. Uh, people who have money are jerks, whatever it is. And I get them to picture saying those statements to their best friend about their best friend. So, you know, if I was, if I had negative money beliefs and you were my best friend, I'd be saying to you, you know what, being your friend is really hard and you are evil. And if I have, if I'm friends with you, then I'm greedy and I'm selfish and that's going to make me evil. And if I'm friends with you, something bad is going to happen. And just to recognize that money is just energy, like any other relationship, money is just energy. And if we were to say those things to the people that we love or to people in our environment, they wouldn't want to be friends with us. And so when you're saying those things about money, money is not going to come to you. Money doesn't come to the people who deserve it or who need it. Money comes to where it's attracted and to the people who have a good energy about it. Like my mom always says to me, well, we don't need money. And I'm like, well, as long as you keep saying that, it's not going to (laughs) come. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I see you guys perpetually stressed out about money. So maybe we need to switch that language up. And then what I get them to do is write down what their relationship with money currently looks like as though it was their significant other. Mm -hmm. 
so when, you know, I did this a couple of years ago and I was like, well, I, you know, it kind of, it flirts with everybody it goes out. I never know when it's going to come back. So there's no kind of trust there. And I feel like I have to work really hard to get it to come hang out with me. And then it just kind of leaves really easily. And then, so we write down where things are at. And then we write down what is the relationship that you want money, want with money? What, what are the characteristics of that relationship, right? Trusting, fun, abundant, and then look at the things that you're not doing for yourself in your life. Because I'm a big believer that whether it's money or whether it's people, whether it's your business, everything and everyone in your environment, your relationship with them is a direct reflection of your relationship with yourself. So when you start to fix that relationship with yourself, then money starts to flow a lot more freely because you re you recognize that you deserve it, that you know you are a good person and that money is just a magnifier. And if you have money, that means, and you're already a good person, then you'll just do more good in the world. So that's an activity that I get my clients to do with money. That is awesome. I'm gonna just like yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go through that myself because as you were saying it, I was like, I never thought of money as my significant other like that. So how would I describe it? So I'm really grateful that you actually gave us an example of how you describe it because I would be stuck on that. Yeah, it, and it's so powerful for people. Even the first part of like saying how they feel about money when they have negative beliefs to somebody, they're like, I've I've had clients stand up in workshops and just say. Well, no wonder it's not coming to me. Like I'm just putting it down constantly. And you don't want to hang out with somebody that's constantly putting you down. Yeah. Or you'd hope so. You yeah. Want to. Um, so there was something I did want to ask off of that as well, which is on the other side, on the flip side, when you actually describe the kind of relationship you do want to have with money, what would an example of that look like? Um, so for me, I said... So you said it was trusting, but you know, it was a trusting, prosperous relationship. It was abundant, but I meant more specifically, like how how far, how much deeper would it go? I think I went pretty deep. Initially, it was like fairly basic, mm -hmm. and then I sat with it a little bit longer and went deeper. So I wrote things like um, that I wanted to be able to trust it enough to go and hang out with somebody else and come back to me. I wanted it to trust me to know that I would always, you know, be there for it in a positive manner. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember now. I don't, I did it a while ago. Uh, <laughs> that it was faithful, that we helped each other grow. That was a big one, that we helped each other grow. So as in I invested money in myself to grow and then I would invest my money to grow, um, that we would work together to do more good in the world. Um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll send it. I'll see if I can find it in my notebooks anywhere and I'll send oh, it to do, you. I'd, I'd love to put that on the site as well because that would just be mm. so much fun to actually have it in the transcript for this. Yeah. Um, and that actually brings me around to like, it's very similar to a question I asked you earlier, but as you said, you love reading. One of my favorite questions to ask on the show are what books impacted you? Now, there is a caveat to this, which is again, I'm going to say, mm -hmm. what are three nonfiction books that impacted your life? And what are two fictional books or movies that also impacted your life? Mm. So nonfiction 
Brene Brown's work really hit me, um, specifically The Gifts of Imperfection. And I think she has another book called I Thought It Was Just Me or something. That really like opened my eyes to how most of um, most of the population thinks about themselves in terms of, you know, we, we all think that we're alone in low self-esteem or in fear of rejection or fear of failure. And really like that's a plague of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really powerful book for me. Um, Eat, pray, love was a really good one. I think that really started like my journey on, um, on uh, self-love. So that was a really good one. Um, And Think and Grow Rich. I I don't think you can go wrong with Think and Grow Rich. I've listened to it like three or four times on audiobook. And can I sneak in a fourth one, actually? There's a fourth one that I I listened to last year on audiobook when I was driving, and it just like blew my mind. It's called Stealing Fire. Have you heard of it or read it? Yes. Um, Cotler. Stephen Cotler. That's the one. Yeah. So great good, book. so good. He's, yeah, he's he's a great dude. I love his uh, Flow Genome Project as well. Mm, yeah, I need to check that one out. Yeah, it's not his book. It's basically it's his overall like how he creates things to actually be um, to get into state of flow. Yeah, I he's I think he talked about it a little bit in uh, Stealing Fire. Yeah. So my question, I guess my next question: What was the, like? What were your th- two? Um, Nonfiction books, then, or movies? Um, I know there's a couple. I'm just, they're not coming to mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever asks those questions anymore. Oh, you know see, what's actually... Yeah, I know. I love it. You know what's a really good one? That Sid actually makes fun of me because I watched it recently again is Moana. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> it's a Disney movie. It is so good and it is so powerful and like just like every Sid won't watch it with me and I'm like, you'll get so many good lessons from it. You need to sit and watch it. Um, yeah. So Moana I think is really good. Um, you know what one I think really had an impact on me in terms of my money beliefs was The Wolf of Wall Street. Just... Mm-hmm. I think I had never really thought about money in that grand scheme of things. Not necessarily that I agree with anything that Jordan Belfort did at that time or the techniques by which he made money. Just that at that point I had mentors who were telling me like, you know, the, the realistic goal to set when it comes to finances is to aim to like increase your money by like, Twenty to fifty thousand dollars a year, and if you ever think of doing more than double your income in the in the next twelve months, then you're being unrealistic. And so I think watching that and just seeing that it's possible to grow your money exponentially um, is it's possible, right? And then that just kind of opened me up to the fact that like the the guys who started Google became decamillionaires in like five years or decabillionaires, whatever it is in like five years. Like it is possible if you're in the right place and you say yes to the right opportunities and that kind of thing. So I think that just opened me up to this scale of money potential 
obviously doing it the right way, not scamming people from their savings. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think one of the other things that really came for me from the Wolf of Wall Street is a big lesson was, you know, the scene where right at the start, he throws the $100 bill into the trash can. Mm. And you just see a, a can full of like other $100 bills. I almost wanted to do that where I have like a trash can of just like money. Mm. And I was like, that's not very respectful of it. But at the same time, it's kind of like, it's kind of badass to a certain degree. It's like, I have so much that I literally like line my toilet, like my trash with it. So if I need to like take money out to go shopping, I just put my hand in there, grab some money and leave. Well, mm. That's so cool. That's like such a cool concept, but also at the same time, such a douchey concept. I was like, I don't think I can let myself do this. It's not yeah, very I me. Yeah, I also learned how not to make money in Wolf of Wall Street, but it just opened me up to like that scale and that, you know, money is just energy. And if you really want to, you can do more than just double your income every year. Exactly. And uh, the other one that I was going to say that I'd suggest to you that you do watch is Molly's Game. I haven't seen that one. I don't even know if I've heard of that one. Yeah, Molly's game is about uh, Molly Bloom, who basically was the poker princess. She basically uh, started out in, she was a former championship skier who ended up in, I'm not going to give you all the details, but she ended up in California and running poker games. But okay. she did it in such a smart way to the point that I think she, like within a couple of years, she'd made millions, like in just a couple of years of doing this without taking any money. Um, from the game so she wasn't breaking any laws hmm. so, so it's really right. smart so it's a really good movie to watch uh, and Idris Elba and Jessica Chastain are in it so you know cool. can't, really, can't really go wrong with that duo um, yeah <laughs> definitely so we've already kind of like covered this as well particularly and so going back to that time because the thing I want to ask here is how did you kind of create like a bulletproof confidence that allows you to keep above a certain fold after you were knocked down before in your life. But as we've already kind of like discussed, like going back to that point of how you raised yourself from that complete devastation in, like you said, a couple of years ago when you're in Australia, what steps, like what specific steps did you start taking to help build that uh, level of confidence and that base beneath you so it doesn't crumble? Um, I think with that, circumstance really highlighted to me is that every aspect of our life, every challenge teaches us something. And the challenge goes away a lot faster when we actually take the time to learn that, um, learn from that situation. And interestingly, I took away that I need to take more responsibility for my life and for my actions. So when all was said and done, I can look at that situation and say, you know, if I'm being honest, I knew that that wasn't the right relationship for me. And I didn't want to hurt him because I thought he was a gen genuinely good person is what I thought at the time. Um, and I actually don't think that he's a bad person now. I think that we just, we weren't meant to be. And when two people are in a situation where they don't want to hurt the other person, and they're staying together because they don't, you know, want to set that boundary then, and say how they really feel, then people end up getting hurt. So for me, 
that really brought me back to my values. So I'm, I'm super honest with people now. I don't hold back how I feel about anything. And I make sure that whether good or bad, I voice my opinion in a respectful way. And I make decisions that are self-loving for me and I take responsibility. So if I'm not happy in a relationship, I recognize that it's my responsibility to communicate that with my partner and either fix it or change something. I tell all my clients this, like, if you work with me, you're going to get the truth and I will find a way to frame it up that you are comfortable with hearing, but I'm, but you're going to get the truth. And so I think for me, I just, everything that happens to me now, I look at it from a different perspective. Whereas before I looked at it as the worst thing that ever happened to me. Right. And I, I think I'd used to make a, a mountain out of molehills quite often. Somebody would cut me off in traffic and it would ruin my whole day. And now I can look at it as, okay, like I don't know what's going on for them. So rather than putting my judgment on them, just letting it be and recognizing that people have their own stuff. People are caught up in their own limiting beliefs and, and you know, they probably didn't intentionally cut me off to ruin my day. And what was the lesson that I needed to learn in that? So every, I think it drives Sid nuts sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if something negative happens or we get a negative comment from somebody or somebody, you know, we get haters or whatever, then I look at it and I say, what do we need to learn from this? And did we play a role in this? Rather than me just pointing fingers at somebody else and forgetting that there's three pointing back at me, what role did I play in this? It takes two to tango. So how did I, and what do, how did I instigate this? How did I play a role in this? And what do I need to learn from it? And in doing that, I found that it takes a lot more to shake me to my core, like that one circumstance, like that breakup did, then, you know, I, I'll get rattled for like a second and then I'll, I can brush things off a lot easier and just stay focused on my mission and on what I believe I'm here to do. Yeah. So it's very similar to like, say if you were in a boxing match, um, it's getting clipped a couple of times. The first time you get punched in the face, you feel really rocked and dazed, but now you've <laughs> built up so many different things that like you can get punched in the face with that same level of strength that first dazed you. And you're like, this is nothing. This is like a, yeah. this is like a, this is like a love tap for a second. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is that all you have? That's what you're going to hit me with. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, 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 that's the way I always find stuff like that. And it's very powerful to have that inclination and notion in your mind exactly of what the difference is between the separating barriers of what used to cause it and what doesn't cause it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's really powerful. Um, so just a real quick heads up for everyone. I would suggest that you go pick up Tiffany's book, which is all about, if I'm not mistaken, it's about self-love, right? It is. It's about not the like bubble baths and red wine type of self-love, but like self-love that's actually going to change your life. Self-love. Yeah. Like the, not the stuff that I did for 20, for like six or seven years of my life where I ran around going, I am happy, smart and wonderful. And I am so in love with myself rather than <laughs> going to the real truth, which is holy crap. I am one dark twisted soul of a human being, but God, do I love humanity and I will have so much fun and love for everyone else, including myself. So it's mm -hmm. not being like this, fair if you're an airy fairy walking on air type of person, then go go do that. But me personally, I actually am getting your book as well, Tiffany, because I love stuff like this. Oh, 
Um, and it's just like one of the big things that really helped me, uh, and I think your book will actually help me like understand more of, especially after this conversation, is how to ingrain that self-love into me so that all those old negative thoughts of any time I get quote-unquote rocked in any life situation with my self-love, it just, it stops hurting so much. It just becomes like, oh, is that all you got that's going to hurt me? Please, let's get on from here. Mm-hmm. So, it's, uh, so it's definitely there. So I recommend you guys go check that out. Link will be in the description as well. So if you search Tiffany Tombs on Amazon.com, you'll find her. And of course, um, oh my, don't don't be a selfish bitch. That's the name of the book. I like this is the fourth time I've forgotten as well. It's brilliant. Um, I was like, wait, I know something hilarious. But yeah, go check that out. Uh, links will be in the description. Also, check out bluelotusmind.com uh, and just get in touch with just get in touch with Tiffany. She's a great person, and you guys have got to know her. Um, and thank you for being here, Tiffany. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. I hope so. I hope to have you again. Take care, guys. See you on the next episode. <laughs>